0: Well, we are continuing our series here at Homestead, we have been talking about the word happy. We started last week um, on this series. Um, I shared that at the beginning of the year, I always ask the Lord to give me a word that I can kind of focus on for that year. And and this year, I was really praying and asking God for more joy in my life. I just felt like we had come through just personally and as a family, some, some difficult things. And I was recognizing that the thing that seemed to be lacking in my life was just joy and happiness and optimism. And so I began studying the scriptures for what does the Bible say about joy? What does the Bible say about happy? And last week we kind of started the series by talking about how God cares about our happiness There are over 2,700 references in Scripture that refer to happy or joy or gladness or merriment. This is something that God took the time in his word, which is how we live our lives. He took the time to talk a lot about happiness, about this attitude that we have inside of us. We talked about the fact that happiness is something God wants to give us. It's something that he wants to put into our hearts. It's a benefit That he bestows on his children. So we should be the happiest people on earth if we have faith in Jesus Christ. And we gave ourselves a definition that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And it is this. Happiness is an outward expression of an inward joy. Happiness is an outward expression of an inward joy. And I think a lot of times as Christians will say, well, I have joy on the inside. And yet the outside, we are the crabbiest, uh, most offended, not so fun people in the whole world. And we say, well, if there's joy in the inside. Well, no. If that joy is on the inside, it's supposed to overflow. It's supposed to overflow in our attitude, in our countenance, in our faces, in the way we interact with one another. And so it's an important part of our faith. And last week, we asked, ourselves, what's happened to our joy? In Galatians 4.15, Paul asked, or Ephesians, I'm sorry, uh, Paul asked the church, what's happened to your joy? You used to be happy. You used to be filled with life. What happened to it? And I challenged us last week to ask ourselves that question, what happened to our joy? And to ask God to fill us back up with that joy, to overflowing, so that not only is it a deep, abiding joy inside our hearts, but it's something that overflows into outside of us in the way that we interact with the world around us. So today I want to dive more into this topic and ask you this question. So if happiness is something that God wants to give us, why are so many people unhappy? That's a good question. If that's a benefit, if that's something that God cares about, if it's something that He has promised to give to us, why is it that so many people are unhappy? And I would venture to say just as many Christians are unhappy as unchristians. Why is it that it seems like happiness is elusive and we are always chasing after it? What are we missing? Now, last week, we talked about the idea that many of us equate happiness with our circumstances. A lot of times, we will uh, equate happiness with our circumstances. When everything is going well, well, then I will be happy. When my problems get better, when this tough season ends, well, then happiness will come into my life and into my home. When my husband or when my wife begins to act differently, then I will be happy. Jeff and I were at a marriage conference all weekend. Can you tell? Ugh oh my goodness, and I'm just going to throw this in there, like 75% of the people that were there had been married over 50 years, and I was thinking, Jeff and I were like, oh, we're going to have a lot of wisdom for you all. It was, so we kind of kept looking each other. I don't know, what do we say to them? They obviously know what they're doing, um, but maybe some of you, your marriage is in a rough spot, and you're thinking, you know what, when this gets better, then I'll be happy. When, you might be thinking, you know, someday when we have kids, it will be better. Someday you're thinking, someday when my kids leave, I will be happy. Or some of you are thinking, my kids left. Someday when they come back to visit, I will be happy. And it's like this elusive thing that always feels like we're just a few steps behind it. And we wonder, when will we be happy? It's the proverbial just around the corner. In just a little while, when I'm out of this season of life, when I enter this new season of life, when I have a different job, and we find ourselves chasing after this thing but never quite getting there. And the reason that many of us feel like we can never be happy is because we're confusing happiness with our circumstance. And yet in Scripture, it tells us over and over again that our happiness, our joy, is not based on what's going on around us. It's not based on our life. It's not based on what's going good, what's not going good. Our happiness and joy is a gift that's given to us by God. And we can be happy regardless of our circumstances, Other times we confuse happiness with the pursuit of pleasure at all costs. And so we're chasing this idea of happiness. And so we think, you know what? I'm going to just go after the things that I think are going to make me happy. And yet we come up wanting every single time. I want to point us to a scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So it's Old Testament, find Psalms, and then go a little bit past it. Ecclesiastes 2, Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. This was the guy who had everything. No one was as well respected. No one had as much money, as much prestige. He had 700 wives. I mean, what guy wouldn't be so happy if he had 700 wives? He had everything that you can imagine. And yet this is what he writes in chapter 2 about pursuit of pleasure and happiness. Starting in verse 1, he says this, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people feel in their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the other kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater. Then all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. If we look at the things that he listed in that passage that he thought would bring him happiness, the things that he was pursuing, he said, "I pursued pleasure. I pursued wine. I went out and had a good time, foolishness, just even doing crazy things." It said that then he spent time investing in building a bigger house and better lands and more stuff, success and wealth. It said he hired singers, entertainment. He had women all the way all around him admiration of others. And mostly, he said, I tried the indulgence of anything I wanted, hoping to bring me happiness. And at the end of all of it, it just came up wanting. He came up saying none of it mattered. And it's just like we were talking about, chasing that idea of happiness. His conclusion was that it was all meaningless, that none of those things brought him happiness. And yet it can be just as easy for you and I to fall into the same trap. Now, we all know in our minds, right, we all know, well, money doesn't buy happiness. We can't find happiness in things. And I want you to think about if you're really honest with yourself, how often that is the inner dialogue that we have, right? You know what? Oh, this house is just so cramped. It's just going to feel better when we get into something a little bit bigger. Or when my job changes and I I can enjoy it a little bit more. He talked about hard work, enjoying his job. Well, he thought, this will do it. A better career, something I love more. Every time he tried one more thing. And so often, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have that same mindset. Just one more thing, one more change in my circumstances. One more thing will make me happy. And we fall into the same trap. Success at work will make me happy. A new house or a new car will make me happy. A romantic relationship will make me happy. We can think all of these things. And yet none of them will truly satisfy. None of them will bring what we are looking for. There might be a momentary thrill and a rush of adrenaline. But I would say that none of these things are really going to bring true happiness. I remember a few years ago, I had a girlfriend who was very unhappy in her marriage. And it was a hard time. It was a difficult season. But I remember one day she came to me and she said, you know what, I'm done. I've met somebody new. And I'm going to leave my family and I'm going to go be with this man. I remember trying so hard telling her, no, 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 don't do this, don't do this. This isn't the right thing. And this is what she said to me. Christy, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. And at that moment, I was just... I said, this is not God, and this is not going to make you happy, because you know what the devil does? He disguises things and tries to make them look bright and shiny and happy. And at the end, it always leads to destruction and death and heartache and pain. And you know what? He's really good at painting things over and making them look really great. He's really good at doing that. The indulgence of our flesh and desires at any cost, I am telling you today, is a surefire way to destroy any chance of happiness. I'm just telling you right now, it might look really great, but you take a few steps in, and it is total destruction. And that is what the enemy does. It says he masquerades as an angel of light. He masquerades, he makes things look bright and shiny and beautiful, saying, this is going to make you happy. And yet you get four steps into it going... Oh, now I'm in a bigger mess than I ever was before. The devil poses, and it always leads to destruction. We might think this person or this behavior or this indulgence will make me happy, but it's really the enemy getting you to step off the ledge into total destruction. Do not believe that lie. These things are fake happiness. It's looking for love in all the wrong places. When we are pursuing happiness in stuff, in our circumstances, in other people, we are always gonna come up short. You know who Jesus said were the happiest people? Do you know who Jesus said? Because he goes and talks, he actually gives his most famous message in scripture, is talking about who are the happiest people. So you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. And it's a sermon that we have all heard over and over. It's the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you and me. Now, this is so interesting. Remember last week we talked about that word makarios, that Greek word that can mean blessed, but is our really our word for happy. Guess what the blessed in this scripture is. I love it, I'm such a Bible nerd. I got so excited because Makarios is the blessed in this scripture. So I wanna read you another translation, the Good News translation. Instead of saying blessed, which feels like a very churchy word, right? Blessed are you. Happy are you. So if we look in the Good News translation, this is what it says, happy are those who are spiritually poor. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are the Muslims in Morocco when they find Christ because the the light that shines in their heart is brighter than they could ever imagine. I love that. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn because God comforts them. And they have a sense of his presence that's deeper than any of us could ever understand. Happy are those who are humble, not successful, not on top, Happy are the humble, because they are receiving what God has promised. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. Not happy are those that indulge whatever they want, but happy are those that do whatever God requires, for he will satisfy them fully. Happy are those who are merciful to others. God will be merciful to them. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are those who work for peace. God will call them his children. And happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because you're my followers. Be happy and glad for a great reward is kept for you in heaven. This is the upside down gospel, right? Upside down. It flips it all the way over. All the things that we would say would make us unhappy are in this list, right? Being poor, being persecuted, being insulted, being lied about, having restrictions on us saying I can't do whatever I want whenever I want. We would say, well, those are things that should make us unhappy. And yet Jesus is saying this is the sign of those that are happy, those that are humble and lowly. And those who do what God desires instead of seeking their own personal indulgence, those are the happy ones. Those are the happy ones. You know, we see this all through the New Testament. In the early church, the apostles and disciples, they were persecuted for what they believed. They were killed and stoned and beaten and did not have things going very well for them. And yet, if you read the Old Testament over and over and over and over again, it will say, how great is our joy. It is my greatest joy, my privilege, the joy of Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says, we are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we're still alive. We've been beaten, but we've not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We're poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Oh, man, to be able to say that in our heart. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. That is is the sign of true happiness. So you and I, if they can do it, if Paul can write that, that I have nothing and yet I have everything, that we are full of joy despite all these obstacles, you and I can have joy and happiness in spite of our circumstances. We can have this sense of joy that overflows into our life, even if things around us are not perfect. When we understand that happiness does not come from these outward sources, We can focus on the things that God says will bring us happiness. So where does true joy come from? I want to just finish up today by having us look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 11. So when I was studying joy, I'm like, I know there's a verse that says your joy will be full somewhere, right? Your joy will be full. It will be overflowing. And this is where it's found, and it is Jesus talking. In John chapter 15, verse 11, it says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, And that your joy might be complete. So God is telling them something and saying, I'm telling you something so that you can be filled with joy. It can be complete in you. Some other translations write it this way. I have told you these things so you would be filled with my joy. Your joy will overflow. Like we talked about last week, that it comes out of you because it's so full inside of you. The uh, ESV version says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy might be full. All the way to the top. And this is my favorite version. The contemporary English version says, I've told you this to make you as completely happy as I am. What a great way. Jesus says, I'm telling you something. And this is going to make you as happy as I am if you listen to it. So don't you want to know what it is? Don't you want to know what he says? Well, that word full, I want to just give you a little bit of a definition about it. The Greek word for that, it means to be filled to capacity, to render absolutely full. But this was my favorite definition, to cram to cram, I am the world's best crammer. Don't ever look, don't ever open a door. If you're at my house, don't open a closet, don't open a drawer, don't open anything like that because you will immediately know more about me than you wanna know because I am the world's best crammer. I can cram enough stuff in a drawer and just keep going down and that's what this word means. That your joy will be crammed into you. So that is what I like to think. I'm telling you something so that you will be crammed full of joy. I want that kind of joy. So what is the secret that Jesus is telling us? If you go back to verse 9, this is what he's saying. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This passage, Jesus gives us this book-ended idea of love that will bring joy. So the first thing he's telling us is that we have to know we're loved by God. The thing that is going to bring us joy is that we have to know in the core of our being how incredibly loved we are. Now, if you think about this, everything we're really searching for in life, it comes back to the idea that we want to be loved. We want to be valued. We want to make a difference. We want to feel like we matter. Would you agree? So much of our motivation comes back to that. We want to feel like we are loved. All of our striving, all of our efforts are because we want to matter. We want to matter to other people, and we want to matter in the world. That need inside of us to be loved is the greatest motivating force of humanity. So what would happen if we were all fully convinced of how fully loved we are by God? think about that. If we understood the depths of how much God loves us, how much would that settle our spirits, that knowledge would rise up inside of us? You know, Jesus says he was fully convinced of God's love for him. I want you to know, I want, I live in my father's love. I want you to know that. He was fully convinced of the father's love for him. And then he extended his love for us by laying his life down. He tells us if we want to be crammed full with joy, then we need to believe how much God loves us. We need to believe that with every part of our being. You know, I love that Jesus doesn't say, if you want to be happy, you have to earn God's love. You have to get your act together. And then you're going to be able to have all of God's love. No, he says just, it's there. All you have to do is just believe it. You don't have to work for it. You have to earn it. It's just receive what he is standing there, arms open, offering to us. But for some reason, we like to disqualify ourselves. Well, God probably doesn't love me because of this, or he probably loves that person more. They're really good at stuff. They really do a lot of things. God loves you fully, completely, without limit, not based on anything you've ever done or anything you could ever do. His love is so completely not about you. It's about the fact that He is love and He loves us so much. It's not something we have to earn, it's something we have. We just have to accept it and believe it and remain connected to Him. Remain in that love. And how do we remain connected to Him? By obeying His commands. That's what He says there. Remain in my love by obeying my command. And what does He say His command is? To love others to love others, right? I like to think of this passage of scripture as God is creating this chain of love, all right? He's saying, the Father has loved me, Jesus, so now I love you, and now you love others. It's like this umbilical train of love. I was thinking last night, what else describes this? And all I could think of is, you know, if you go to a wedding and they have like the the tower of champagne glasses, and they pour onto the top, and then it just I thought I could try and do it here today, but with my luck, it would be a disaster. (laughs) I'm not very graceful. But you know, you pour into the top one, and then it pours over into the next one, and into the next one, and into the next one, and into the next one. So God is talking about here. Jesus is saying, God the Father loves me perfectly. And now I have loved you perfectly. And now you get to pour that same love into other people. And this is going to make your joy full. The Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves us, and we love others. And we have to love them the same way he loves us. Without condition, with genuine affection. Think about this. How much of our unhappiness is tied to other people? How much? If you're really honest the way other people are treating you, the way other people are behaving, how much of our frustration in the world is connected to other people. So I find it really interesting that Jesus says, you know what's going to fix all this? You just got to love other people. They're going to be a mess. Guess what? You're a mess too, and I love you without condition, right? So if we can get that understanding in our hearts, okay, Lord, you love me unconditionally. I'm going to accept and receive that and let that settle my soul. And then I'm going to love others the same way. I'm going to just pour out myself for them. Think about how often we're frustrated or offended or just plain out annoyed by other people, right? It can be hard to love others. But the truth is, if we're connected to Christ, we're not manufacturing our own love to give them. We're receiving from him, and then we're just keeping the chain going. What we're getting from God, that unconditional, beautiful love, when he pours that into us... All we're doing is just turning around and letting it flow out of us. I love that picture. And so if you are feeling a lack of joy, maybe you have not maybe there's a kink in the flow here or maybe there's a kink in the flow there, right? So maybe you haven't been receiving the love that God has for you. You just haven't believed it or you haven't accepted it. Maybe you thought, "Well, I just I just don't have a very good relationship with God." Today you can open up your heart and say, "Okay, God, I just want this wide open. I want to receive everything you have for me. And I believe that the joy of the Lord will begin to grow inside of you. And maybe there's a kink over here. Maybe you've been, you understand you have a relationship with Christ, and yet you have not been showing love to others. Maybe your frustration and annoyance and offense has just made a kink somewhere. And that unhappiness in you is because you aren't doing this part well. And just say, okay, Lord, give me your heart for other people. God, sometimes I say that. God, sometimes people are so annoying. You have to give me your love for them, right? And ask God to fill you with love for other people. Jesus is saying, do you want to be full of joy? Link into this chain of perfect love. And when you do that, you will be crammed full. Of love. I wanted to just close by reading a, a quote. Um, if you haven't read this book, you absolutely need to get this book. It's called Love Does by a man named Bob Goff. And he is just one of these guys that he just loves people without condition. And the opening of this book, there's so many things. He just tells a lot of stories about his life. Um, but I wanted, as I was reading this book this week, I was struck by the opening introduction. And the introduction was written by another author named Donald Miller. And I've read a lot of Donald Miller's books. Donald Miller never had a dad. Donald Miller, um, you know, he was kind of like this cynical guy, wrote lots of great stuff. But Bob Goff became a mentor to him and absolutely changed his life by just loving him. He would talk in, in some of his books, he'd talk about moments where he had just blown it, like just made dumb decisions. And Bob Goff would just get on the phone and call him and say, Don, I think you're, you're so good at this, and just poured life into him. And so Donald Miller wrote the introduction to this book, and I thought it was really interesting. He said, Bob Goff has had a greater impact on my life than any person I've known. He loves people with a force that is natural, and by natural, I mean like nature, like a waterfall or wind or waves on the ocean. He loves effortlessly as though love packs annually in snow on a mountain, melting and rushing through him in an infinite loop. There's no explanation for a man who can love this well, save God. I think that Bob Goff knows God, and I think God's love flows through him. That is what I want to be said of me, right? I know that I don't have it in myself. I know that there's not enough love in me to love people the way that they do that I've been loved, but if I can link into that chain and I can receive the love of God and then pass that on to other people, I believe that each and every one of us would see our joy grow, would see our happiness increase, that joy in us overflowing into the outside of us. So I have a challenge for you this week. We're going to close in prayer, but I have a challenge for you this week. I want you to figure out how good you're doing in this connection of receiving the love of God that he has for you. And if it's not working well, I want you to pray about opening up that connection and saying, God, I want to understand at a greater level how much you love me. Lord, so much of my insecurity and my unsettledness is coming from this feeling like I don't matter and I need to do more and be more and all that. And, Lord, I want that to settle in in confidence when I fully grasp how much you love me. And maybe if you have a little kink over here this week, I want to challenge you. I want you to just pour love out on the people into your world this week, okay? Without judgment, without abandon, without thinking, I don't know, should I I give that much love? Maybe I should hold a little bit back so that they know that I, you know, disapprove of some of their stuff. No, fully, like the love God gives you, fully pour out love on the people in your world this week, okay? And I want you to pay attention to this. If you do that, I want you to see if you're happier this week. I want you to see if you enjoy your job more, if you enjoy your family more, if you enjoy the people in the carpool lane more, (laughs) when you're pouring out love on them instead of other gestures, right? I want you to pour out love from Christ. And if you're having a hard time, then you got to go back here. Okay, Lord, I need more, 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 more. Spend more time asking God, okay, I'm having a really hard time for it coming out over here. I want you to see, this is going to be our experiment this week. God, if we really believe your love, if we step into that chain and pour out our love for others, I think that we will find our joy crammed full and that it will overflow in how we treat other people. Let's close in prayer today. God, I thank you that your love is so perfect. And Lord, when we're really honest, you know, we can look at that passage of Solomon and say, oh, I would never do that. But the truth is that when we're really honest, we do look so often to the next thing just around the corner to bring happiness. Maybe it's just getting to the next Friday night or hoping for the next season in our kids' lives or the next job or the next relationship. And Lord, I know It's so easy to fall into that trap. But Jesus, we know that the only place to find fullness of joy is in knowing how much you love us. And God, I just pray for those today, maybe who have never opened their heart up to you. Maybe their relationship with you has just been something that's been distanced. They didn't know that they could lock into that love that you have for them and that they could be connected to you. Jesus, I pray today that that line would open up for every person in this place, that they would open up their hearts to receive the love that you have for them. God, that they would just believe it. What you freely offered when you laid down your life for us, even though we were so unworthy, that we can open up our hearts and just receive that love from you. And may it settle our hearts, Jesus. May all that anxiousness, wondering if we're really worthy, wondering if we're good enough, may that just be quieted when we really truly grasp how loved we are by you. And Father, in the same way we pray that we would be a conduit of your love to the world around us. Lord, that is hard sometimes. But Jesus, we know that it's not our own love, it's the love that's coming from the Father that we need to pour out into others. And so Jesus, we ask that this week you would make us mindful of ways that we can show love to other people, not conditioned, not based on what they do or don't do for us, but simply an overflow of what you are pouring into us. And Jesus, I just pray that that would make a huge difference in our world. And I thank you that what your word says is true, that when we do that, when we lock into you and then pour ourselves out for others, that our joy will be full. And we believe that that promise is true for us today. So we ask that you give us grace and wisdom I pray that you would be with us all today and thank you for this time that we can gather together as your family. In Jesus' name we pray all these things and everyone said amen.